Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. As the year comes to a close, our staff is writing about our favorite sports moments of 2019. Jason Concepcion explains the year in 10 pieces of pop culture, and we break down the last 10 years of the Marvel Universe. Also, ahead of the new Star Wars movie coming out next week, the staff's discussing Baby Yoda, Rise of Skywalker romances, and what the Resistance will do if they win. You can check this all out on TheRinger.com. Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Uh, Much to our surprise, the weather outside is frightful, but the hot stove, my friends, is fucking burning, man. I'm joined, as always, by fellow staff writers Ben Lindbergh. Hello. And Zach Cram. Hello. And we're going to talk about Steven Strasburg and his new record-setting contract. Uh, He has re-signed with the Washington Nationals to the tune of seven years, $245 $245 million. Uh, this is just a ton of money uh, for one of the top three free agents uh, in this class. It seems to set up an even bigger pay- payday for Garrett Cole. Uh, ben, you wrote about the you wrote the initial reaction blog for, for this transaction. So why don't you kick us off with your uh, first impressions? Yeah, these are really big numbers. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that much that Strasburg re-signed with the Nationals because I think there are a few things that were in favor of that happening. Obviously, there's been a a long and fruitful relationship between Boris and the owners of the Nationals, the learners. So that's part of it. But also, there's a tendency for World Series winning teams to kind of keep the band together, bring back their players. And Strasburg seems to like it in D.C. Of course, he had already signed one long term extension there that would have kept him there through 2023 before he opted out after this past season. So clearly he was comfortable with the idea of playing in D.C. And that's what's happening here. But the numbers are huge because Strasburg is 31 years old and he was generally, I think, projected to make somewhere between 140 to 180 million when the offseason started, depending on whether you thought he would get five years or six years. Instead, he got seven years, and best as I can tell, he is the oldest pitcher to sign a contract this long since Kevin Brown back in 1998. So it's been a while. Teams are generally wary of investing long-term in pitchers this this guy's age, but he is coming off a really strong season, and it was perfect timing for him to cash in. Zach, how about you? Yeah, I, I agree with Ben that is a bit of a surprise to see how high this number rose, especially when over the weekend, Garrett Cole uh, appeared to have an initial offer of this same amount. And Garrett Cole is younger than Strasburg. He doesn't have his injury history. uh, So we would assume he would receive more money than Strasburg this winter. We'll talk about Cole in a couple minutes uh, and what Strasburg's deal does to his. But I also don't think that the gut reaction should be, oh, this is so much money the Nationals overpaid. Strasburg has several things going in his favor. One is that he has probably never been as dominant as he was over the last half of last season. Uh, Even all of last season, by some metrics like Baseball Prospectus, which has DRA, deserved run average, said Strasburg was the best pitcher in baseball last year. And he, of course, pitched to that level or even better over the playoffs where he made himself a lot of money. Uh, And he also has the Nationals connection where he has been a national ever since 
being picked first overall in the 2009 draft, which uh, that selection and then Bryce Harper's selection first overall the next year really kickstarted this run of Nationals contention. So from that perspective, it's kind of cool to see him sticking around there. The fact that this deal got done relatively early in the offseason, the fact that he apparently was working out at Nationals Park even before signing this deal last month uh, just signifies that he didn't really necessarily want to go. It's more of the Clayton Kershaw deal in L.A. where he opts out of the deal to get an extension with the same club. Yeah, or the CC Sabathia uh, opt out a couple years ago with the Yankees. Yeah, I think this is a... I, this could not have been a better time, I think, for Strasburg to hit free agency. I think there's, because of his age, I'm less surprised at the average annual value of the of the contract. You look at what David Price is making, what uh, Zach Greinke's making, what Clayton Kershaw is making. Like, that's, this is the going rate, pretty much, for a pitcher of this caliber uh, with his track record. But we have looked at, and I wrote about this, I think, way back in, like, May or June. We looked at Strasburg as this sort of I don't know, maybe the best pitching prospect of his generation. And there had been bumps along the way. He had been occasionally dominant uh, and occasionally injured, or you know, there was just something missing, or he was just a great number two starter, but always sort of lagging a, a step behind Max Scherzer, uh, who, or sometimes even Gio Gonzalez in that in that Nats rotation. And he really he put it all together this year. I think he really matured uh in terms of his approach. And you know, you could be worried about there are there are things that I'm worried about as much as I like Strasburg uh, as a pitcher, as much as I uh, approve of the nationals uh, signing him to this contract. You know, I'm not blind to the fact that uh, what the average track record in is for a replacement UCL uh, UCL and how long it's been since Strasburg has had Tommy John surgery, for instance, or, you know, there, there are still question marks about his durability, but I also look at the way that as his, you know, his velocity is already decreasing and you can, Take that to, I, I guess, like, why that doesn't bother me that much is why I find the Zach Wheeler contract so infuriating, not to bring this back to Zach Wheeler and the Phillies, but it's, you can look at the performance, the ability to pitch, or you can look at the stat casting. And I think that uh, Strasburg, while still being, uh, while his stuff is still really impressive, you just look at the way that he's matured as he's grown into the pitcher that he showed himself to be uh, in 2019 in the regular season and the playoffs. You know, I'm not saying he's going to age like Zach Granke, for instance, where he just goes from having knockout stuff to sort of turning into this crafty junk baller. You know, maybe that's too much to uh, to expect. But looking at the way he pitches here, I'm, you know, I, I think I'm as confident in him going forward um, as I think you reasonably can be for a starting pitcher. Yeah, he really compensated this season. He was throwing more curveballs. He was throwing more sinkers. Of course, he still has the changeup, which is a really effective pitch. So it would be even more encouraging if he just hadn't lost any velocity at all, if he were Justin Verlander, who somehow just keeps throwing hard year after year. But he has done a pretty good job of figuring out ways to get guys out and and pitching roughly as well as he ever has on an inning per inning basis, as well as being durable, which was the big knock against him. So I agree. And it's not like he's a soft tosser. You know, he's still throwing 94 or so or, or, or more if he wants to dial it up. So I think that's true. I, I think that this is nice in the sense that 
This may mean that Strasburg will be a national for the rest of his career. He was drafted by them. He had the incredibly exciting debut with them. There was the shutdown. There's a lot of interesting and fun history here. And it's always nice when a player can get paid and also stay in one place for his whole career and form that bond with the fans. So I'm happy to see this happen. And yeah, if you wanted to get into the the downside potential He has been on the injured list nine times in his career, and really, you only have to go back a year or so. I mean, if we had had this conversation a year ago, we probably would have said that he would not opt out of this contract at all and that he would be happy to have the four years and hundred million that he had coming to him. So as quickly as it became a no-brainer for him to opt out, it could reverse itself and he could get injured again. And then suddenly this will look like an entanglement that the Nationals won't be happy about because he was incredibly durable this year, but obviously had not been that way for most of his previous years. So it's it's somewhat worrisome, as is any long-term contract for a veteran, but especially in his case, because he has been known to break from time to time. Yeah, I mean, that's the the sort of baked into this price is that you don't know how long that he's going to be, you know, how long he's going to be the pitcher he is now. I mean, he's really only been the pitcher that he's been now for, for about six months, but I I think that's a good point. And I'm glad that you were, you know, you're here to offer some insight on, on what, what it's like to lose your fastball once you get uh, past (laughs) the age of 30 or so. Um, <laughs> so, so some we're all at that yeah, age, except, except for Zach. Zach. Zach's yeah. still got his fastball. Um, <laughs> the the interesting thing about this, you know, I I guess we'll 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 go to like, is he the definitive Washington National now? When you bake in the playoff performance, when you look at at the journey he's taken with that that club like there at one point or another you could say that Ryan Zimmerman was that guy or Bryce Harper was that guy but you know I I wonder if if he plays out this entire contract he'll be looked at um I don't know like I'm I'm with you like I obviously like it when players get paid what they're worth but it is cool to to see this sort of one club man yeah I was curious so I looked at players who have who, who debuted after this advent of free agency who have stuck with one team for their entire career, sorted all of those pitchers by war. And you get down to like non-Hall of Famers really quickly, but players who are beloved. So first on the list is Kershaw, next is Mariano Rivera, then Felix Hernandez, and then very quickly you're in the level of Ron Guidry and Brad Radke, and uh, who else is down here? Adam Wainwright. And then Brandon Webb, who, you know, I don't need to praise Brandon <laughs> Webb on this podcast. Uh, but then <laughs> you're at the level of DeGrom and Bumgarner and Strasburg. And I think Bumgarner is a reasonable point of comparison because he's someone who has been a giant for his entire career. And like Strasburg has uh, incredible postseason heroics, Bumgarner will probably leave this offseason. And it's been kind of a muted farewell from San Francisco. And Strasburg is not going to have that, uh, or at least for seven more years. And I think he has to be the definitive Washington National. I was lucky enough to attend his first start. It was something I, I grew up uh, near D.C., and my friends and I metro down to the stadium after high school. This was back when you were still allowed to bring backpacks into Nationals Park. And he was electric. We sat so high up in the outfield that there were cobwebs on the seats because the Nationals were a terrible team and there was no reason for anybody in those seats to actually go to games. And we sat so high up and were giddy with 
laughter as he just struck out pirate after pirate. I think he ended up with 14 strikeouts on the day. And of course, from there, there was all the drama about his injury and then being shut down for the season. And it came full circle over the entire decade. But he has to be the definitive national at this point, I think, just because everyone else from that era, Zimmerman, Rendon, presumably uh, Bryce Harper, have all left now. Yeah, maybe it's it's an even bigger no-brainer than than I thought it was. But I, I just want to say, like, I enjoy having discussions like this. Like, it's it's been, I'm, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic about uh, the way this this offseason has turned out. I mean, we've seen the the Wheeler contract, the Osmani Grandal contract. Mike Moustakis finally got a multi-year deal. Now it seems like, you know, when you look at revenue growth, maybe these salaries for for top and and top end and, and sort of middle tier players have sort of stagnated uh based on on like share of league revenue. But it does seem like there are at least a few teams willing to invest in players to that uh that can help them win in the short term. And I think that's, you know, as much as we're sort of uh ticking around in the uh in the background about maybe Chris Bryan or Mookie Betts getting traded, like it's it's fun to to just look at this like you know, this is could potentially be a, a deal that even if Strasburg doesn't play the entire play his entire career um, with the Nationals, if he does leave at some point later in this career or later in his career, it'll be, you know, like Verlander with the Tigers or Tom Seaver with the Mets. Like this is uh, the level of legacy that I think he's um, that he's secured for himself. And I, I think that's just it's good for this. You know, it's it's good for the sport to to see him go back to as fun as it would have would have been to see him like at the start at the the head of a Padres rotation or you know anytime like that shakeup is is really cool. I I I think this is just nice for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> we can talk about the implications for Cole and Rendon in a moment, but it's good for baseball I think just to see someone like Strasburg sign this early to actually oh, yeah. see one of the top free agents sign during the winter meetings. I mean, that's not new compared to I, old I, off seasons, I think Zach but was in high school the last <laughs> back when that was <laughs> It's definitely new compared to the past two off seasons and I wrote about this free agent market and how it's shaping up late last week, but thus far the spending has kind of been in line with with what we were used to prior to 2017. And it's pretty perplexing because on the one hand, you do see owners still talking about wanting to stay below the competitive balance tax threshold and we can't afford this and we can't afford that. And you did see a lot of guys getting non-tendered and becoming free agents. And a lot of the things that seem to be at the root of that slowdown in spending on free agents in the past two winters are still in place. I mean, it's still the same CBA. A lot of the same trends still seem to be in effect. Front offices still are populated by the same people. So it's hard to figure exactly why things have snapped back to what they were, but it's kind of nice. I don't know that it will continue because, again, there are underlying causes for concern. But thus far, at least, this is an offseason that looks in line with what yeah, we were I'm, used I'm to. I'm not looking to gift horse. I'm, like, I, I don't know why it would change now, but I'm not looking to gift horse in the mouth by any stretch of the imagination. I that think there are a couple things to separate here. One is the slowness of last offseason, and two is the actual final contracts that players received. I think everyone was annoyed by how long the Harper and Machado sweepstakes lasted to say nothing of like Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell, but at least for Machado and Harper, they generally got the contracts they were looking for, both making at least $300 million. And to that extent, like it's not like the free agency slowdown affected their eventual future earnings, 
where that has happened is with the trickle down toward the lower caliber of player. And that's where the contracts uh, like Mike Moustakis, who had to settle for a one-year deal last offseason and got four years this winter, uh, seems a lot rosier. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, same thing. Uh, I wonder if that will continue to trickle down even all the way to like the seven-figure-a-year guys instead of the eight-figure-a-year players. Uh, we've seen, I think, I haven't seen any numbers on this, but more prominent players than usual have already announced that they're signing in Japan. There were all of the non-tenders, as you mentioned. So there are still some warning signs at the lower levels, and I think that's a reason for concern going forward, especially as like... Yeah, you know, those are the players where the distribution of money actually matters as opposed to like, I don't really care if Steven Strasburg gets $35 million a year instead of $32 million a year. That's less of a difference than it is for the guys lower down the totem pole. But if a rising tide lifts all boats, then yeah, this is a great sign for everyone involved. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point to make. It's like the underlying issues are still there and particularly like, but the, the lower tier guys, like the system that... That has that we've operated under as long as I've been following baseball, uh, which is you know you pay your dues and then get get uh, it gets made good in free agency. It, it just can't work that way anymore. There's not a, um, it's not a, a workable solution for Steven Strasburg at this point in time to make thirty five million dollars a year while Juan Soto makes like six hundred thousand. And let alone minor leaguers making eleven thousand dollars a year. So I don't, you know, I don't know what this means for like labor peace or anything like that. It's just, you know, it's nice to to be talking about baseball this way. I will say, uh, speaking of getting back to old school, like this is an old school Scott Boris contract where like he gets he lands one of his his stars with a, a player or what lands one of his star players on a team with a really old owner in. Uh, uh, 94-year-old Ted Lerner. Uh, also, speaking of of old-school contracts, $80 million of this is deferred, which it wouldn't be a Nationals contract if, <laughs> if a big chunk of this wasn't uh, wasn't deferred. So like, they'll be paying Steven Strasburg, I think, well into the 2030s with this deal. I, I think um, the, the deferrals they have to pay within the, the first three years oh, after first the contract, three years? so it's not one of those Bobby Bonilla-type things. And they have to pay interest on the deferrals, too. So it's... it's it, I think it's like 1% interest. So yeah. like, it's not as... it's not as draconian as the Max Scherzer deferral, for instance. Right. But, yes. Uh, yeah. It's still like, you know, this is apparently just the price of doing business with the learners, which, you know, I guess it's a bet that either they won't own the team or Western society will collapse between <laughs> now and then. Uh, but I do want to, we've been talking about this for a while. We need to to get to Garrett Cole quickly because that's like the, the news cycle pivoted like that, uh, that if Strasburg is worth seven two forty five, then what's Cole worth? Is it eight three hundred? And I think Scott Boris. I mean, I was sort of curious how he'd play this as as an agent who likes to take things down to the wire, but who also represents both, like not only uh, the top three free agents generally, but the top two starting pitchers. And I think this could not have shaken out better uh, for him because he got what got one of his guys paid big early. And that sh- not only sets a floor, but it um, shuts shuts off a- an avenue for, you know, the Yankees are looking at, at Garrett Cole. The Phillies are looking at Garrett Cole. The Angels are looking at Garrett Cole. The Dodgers have been rumored to, to be in on him. You know, every team in baseball should be in on him. And now if you're looking for an ace, not only is Strasburg gone, but you know, the other guy that you, you could sort of talk yourself into and Zach Wheeler, he's gone. So 
you know, it's sort of Garrett Cole, Hyunjin Ryu, or bust if you're looking for real top end of the, for ed, really anything better than the number three, number four starter stuff. And I think Boris has uh, maneuvered Garrett Cole into a great position to get paid huge. Yeah. And based on the rumors that we're seeing right now, it seems possible that Cole could be signing sometime soon, possibly even at the winter meetings. But it's funny just how much this one signing boosts the expectations for Cole's signing, because, you know, the day that Strasburg signed, Jason Stark had reported that there might be a $280 million deal out there for Cole. And people were buzzing about that. Wow, $280 million. Now it sort of seems like that's the floor for Cole, because if Strasburg can get seven years at his age, I mean, he's more than two years older than Cole is. So first of all, Cole could dream of a nine-year contract, which would clearly push him past $300 million, even if he were to settle for eight years. I mean, if he got eight years and the same AAV as Strasburg, that's $280 million right there. And it sure seems like he could either get a longer deal or a higher average annual value. So the odds of him landing a $300 million deal, which seemed not completely out of the realm of possibility entering the offseason, but still somewhat far-fetched. Now that seems a not quite like a guarantee, but maybe where you set the over-under or maybe even below where you set the over-under. So the numbers are getting enormous. I mean, he's younger, he's better, he's durable, he doesn't come with the same injury concerns. So he's clearly the better pitcher, the better option in every way. And given that Strasburg just signed for this much, you can kind of do the math and figure that Cole's going to get a good deal more. I mean, I'm more. just looking at it, even Strasburg aside, like if David Price was worth seven two seventeen, or Granky was worth uh, six two oh five. You look at the whole package with Cole, the durability, the stuff. You know, I mentioned choosing between performance and real eye popping, like velocity and and spin numbers. You don't have to do that with Garrett Cole. Uh, it, it, he is. I you know I genuinely wonder who, who was the last starting pitcher this good to be on the open market. Uh, you know. Was it Scherzer or, you know, or is Cole better now than Scherzer was then? So, you know, Zach, what do you think about the, this this uh, potential contract for a pitcher starting with a three? I think if any pitcher deserves it, it's Garrett Cole, who, I mean, you bring up Scherzer. Garrett Cole is two years younger or a year and a half younger than Scherzer was at the time that he signed with the Nationals. And that's probably... Either that or like the Randy Johnson deal or Greg Maddox is the best free agent contract ever signed by a pitcher for his team. And I don't think anyone with the Nationals would say they overpaid Max Scherzer for what they gave him five years ago. The other thing with Cole is that the teams that are most, I think, in need of starting pitching are the ones who are also most likely to give a really big contract. On the one hand, you have the Yankees who could very well give him more than $300 million uh, without blinking. And there's been some reporting to the effect that they might. Uh, then you also have the Angels, who uh, Artie Moreno has not been shy about spending before. And he's almost done with a lot of the long-term deals he gave out after 2021, which is Albert Pujols' expiration date with the team. Uh, the only contracts he has is one more year of Justin Upton and Mike Trout. So he has so much real estate to give a lot of money to Cole and basically roll over that Pujols money into Garrett Cole's deal. Uh, you also have the Dodgers who it's, I think it's a bit unclear if they're as interested as the Yankees or angels, but they also basically yeah, the don't Yankees have any and angels certainly seem to be one and two in yeah. some order. So, and, but like other big money teams are, are sniffing around for sure. 
Yeah, and the Dodgers basically haven't given out a lot of high-value deals recently, so they have the money to go after Cole. So you could really develop a bidding war. Uh, Like you said, the fact that there's no real plan B option, I think just amplifies the desire and, and need for these teams to make an effort. Like, if you're the Yankees, either you sign Cole or you sign a pitcher who probably isn't that much better than the options you have anyway. Cole's the one difference maker left, uh, at least on the pitching side. I keep going back to Father Guido Sarducci's Five Minute University, which is a timely reference for uh, all our young listeners out there. But the all you need to know about economics is supply and demand, and the supply just got cut in half. And you know, it's it right now. It's Cole. It's Ryu. Or it's somebody who is probably not that much better than Jay Happ. And I, I think that really puts that puts not only the Angels, but the Yankees and you know anybody else who needs a real top end of the rotation help that puts them on notice. So, you know, I I can't believe the Pujols contract is almost over. I think it, it should be said. Like I joke a lot about it. I joke a lot about uh civilization ending before some of these contracts. And like I genuinely did not think I'd, I'd live to see the end of the Albert Pujols deal. So it's sort of, it's strange to contemplate a world in which uh, the Angels aren't paying him, well, like $25 million a year to to run six second uh, out of the box down to first base. It's truly, this is this is a new era. <laughs> Can we talk about Rendon before we finish? Oh because- yeah, we need to do that. Because, so here's the, the one thing that kind of annoys me about this is the Nationals said they can't afford to bring back both Right. Rendon and Strasburg. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I kind of just don't believe that. No. You know, I think there's difference. Like, we need to be careful. You know, us as reporters, I think, you know, you as, as fans need to be careful to make the distinction between unwilling and unable. Uh, and uh, yeah, they may very well be unwilling to bring both of them back. Uh, but they, I don't know. Like, you look at, at what Rendon meant to that team down the stretch. Uh, and in the playoffs, I'd, you know, I'd re-sign him and figure out the, the rest later. But, you know, there's a reason uh, I haven't managed to accumulate a billion dollars, I guess, and and purchase a Major League Baseball team. Yeah, I mean, it could just be a basic negotiating tactic. Nationals principal owner Mark Lerner said, we really can only afford to have one of those two guys. Maybe that's just something you say to either, you know, affect Scott Boris's expectations or maybe your fan base's expectations just in case they don't both come back or so fans are extra excited if they do both come back. But just looking at the numbers, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to afford those guys because it's not like the Nationals have been running low payrolls. They've been around 200 million in each of the past two years. And Strasburg and Rendon combined for more than 50 million this past season. So it's not like they're guys who are just getting expensive, you could give them big raises and it wouldn't be that much more than they were already making. And even after the Strasbourg signing, the Nationals' projected payroll right now for 2020, according to Raster Resource, is only $166 million, which is just not that much. That's low enough that they could add, say, 35 for Rendon on there, and that still wouldn't even bring them up to the competitive balance tax threshold. And even if they were to make additional moves and go over it, they weren't over it last year, so they would be paying the lowest tax rate. So I just don't see why their current spending situation is prohibitive, and that's before you even account for the fact that they just won the World Series. And so they derive some extra playoff revenue. They can probably bank some extra attendance and TV ratings next year. So 
I don't really understand why they wouldn't be able to afford both of these guys if they wanted to. And if they could only afford one, I can see the case for signing Strasburg just because the Nationals' top prospect and one of the top prospects in baseball, Carter Keeboom, can play third. He played some third this year in the minors. So that could be a Rendon replacement, whereas it would have been pretty difficult to replace Strasburg. So I think... If they are only going to take one, I see why they would spend on Strasburg, but I, I don't see that they are out of the Rendon market at all. I, I I look at their roster and look at their payroll, and you know, I feel like first of all, this is a, a time to strike while the iron's hot, while Soto's only making six hundred thousand dollars a year, for instance, while Trey Turner's uh, still under arbitration. Like a lot of their young guys are pretty cheap, and they've done a really good job of filling out there, of finding Anibal Sanchez and and Howie Kendrick and Jan Gomes and getting solid big league starters for not that much money. Um, and the result of that is they're paying a bunch of they're paying a few guys a lot of money, but the guys who are making those. You know, $20, 30000000 a year are essentially Corbin Strasburg and Scherzer, and all of them are really good. And you don't get in trouble paying really good players a lot of money. You get in trouble when you miss on one of those contracts or when you try to get creative and pay, you know, pay somebody $20 million a year in the hopes that he, uh, you know, essentially just on on spec, essentially. Um, and they haven't done that. You know, they're they are their their salary structure is perfectly conducive, like you said, to to paying Anthony Rendon, you know, even in excess of thirty million dollars a year if they needed to. I just, you know, I mm-hmm. I don't, I I, I buy a hundred percent that they might be unwilling to bring those bring both of those guys back, but unable is just right. Not, not and the other thing is that this division is really tight and their primary rivals have been busy. Of course, the Phillies signed Wheeler and, and might do more. The Braves have been signing guys left and right. The Mets, well, the Mets traded for Jake Marisnik. But <laughs> the if you look at the projected... I don't know, the, the Mets have been like every so often they, they do something surprising. And, yeah, and, well, if you... you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that like I know Rendon is going to the Mets or something like that, but you know, they... It's certainly not out of the the realm of possibility that that the Mets, who by the way have you know have some of their own productive and, sure. and uh, cost control players, and were not that bad last year. No, like, and they traded for Stroman. They'll have him for a whole f- yeah. season. And if you look at the projected team war for the teams in this division at Fangrass, the Mets are actually on top, <laughs> whether you believe that or not. The Nats are right now, even with Strasburg, neck and neck with Atlanta. So. The Nats are very much in a situation, even after signing Strasburg, where every win really matters. And one more big signing, like the Rendon signing, if they were to bring him back, I think they would be the clear favorites in this division. But right now, it's pretty much a toss-up. So it's not as if they can just stop right now and feel confident going into next season. Hey, but what happens to the Mets' projections when they sign Rick Porcello? Game changer, huh? <laughs> or yeah. when you and Cespedes you gotta comes bring, back. Please got to bring that North Jersey boy home. Please analyze that for me, guys. <laughs> We could do another podcast when Rick Porcello signs. Zach, you've been kind of quiet. Do you have anything else to say before we we uh, wrap up? I'm just thinking about how maybe the Dodgers aside, a lot of the teams that would be potentially in on Rendon aren't necessarily the ones that are in on Cole. So you could see a bit of a bifurcation going forward and the teams interested in those top free agents. And then just the last thing I'm curious about is how this Strasburg deal affects the market for the remaining second tier pitchers. Like if Cole either goes quickly or just prices out a lot of other teams. Does this move the needle for Hyunjin Ryu or Dallas Keuchel? Like if the angels miss out on Cole, I think Keuchel might be a great alternative as someone who can pitch in front of 
a defense with Andrew Alton Simmons and David Fletcher. Uh, and I'm curious to see what happens with those guys. And hopefully uh, the Strasburg move not only does good things for the discourse now and for the nationals going forward, but for also making sure the rest of the market moves at a, at a rapid pace. Your point about setting the market, like in addition to this, like Zach Wheeler's what, like $23 million a year, something in, uh, in that neighborhood, uh, Cole Hamill's one for 18, like even solid pitching does not come cheap anymore. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how this shakes out. I think that's, that's one of the reasons just seeing what some of those guys, um, you know, that next tier down have gotten on a year to year basis would make me more comfortable with giving Strasburg $35 million a year and Cole, like just the keys to the vault. Um, so it's only been one week since Mike Rizzo told reporters that he'd been drunk for a month. <laughs> so it's also possible <laughs> that that Scott Forrest got to him at just the right time. <laughs> it's probably in a pretty not good mood. something I considered. I'll tell you what, they know how to celebrate a championship in Washington between yeah. between that and the Alex Ovechkin uh, tour de force with the, the Stanley <laughs> Cup. This is it. It seems to be a good place to win a title. Maybe that that factored into Strasburg's decision making. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. We uh, will be back when some of these other guys sign, uh, you know, try to be sober at some point in the next month, you guys, unlike Mike Rizzo. Uh, but uh, we'll be back uh, to, to talk about more news as, as it develops. Uh, until next time, thanks for joining me. All right. Good to hear your voices again. Oh, yeah. I've missed you. Bye, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>